We're looking this morning at John chapter 6. It is a lengthy passage, so I'm going to have mercy on our knees and encourage you to sit. And uh, I'll read it out for us. It's John chapter 6. And I'm going to read from verse 22 to verse 59. Um, The reason why I'm preaching from such a large chunk is because, not because I have an over-optimistic faith in your ability to retain information, nor because I have an overzealous view of my own ability to communicate such information, but because in my studies of John's gospel, and this is partly why I did a commentary on John's gospel to figure this out, I believe the best way to preach these long uh, monologues of Jesus's, uh, this one has uh, a couple of um, question and answer sort of elements thrown in, but these long monologues of Jesus is to recognize their main theme. So really, Jesus is truly just saying one thing throughout this uh, section. He just says it over and over again from different angles. And so I'm going to pick out three of those different angles as we look at uh, this uh, passage where Jesus emphasizes that he is the bread of life over and over again. Obviously, it's important to Jesus, so it should be for us too. So let's now look at God's word. John chapter 6 and beginning at verse 22. Let's hear God's word. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they'd eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Let me just put a little bit of pause there just to remind you that we're in this part of the story where Jesus has fed the 5,000 and so it says here, they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. This is reminding the reader that very recently Jesus has just done this amazing miracle of feeding 5,000 people with just a small picnic after he gave thanks. Okay? So that should be in our mind. Then verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And that also is meant to remind us of the next part of the story, which is that Jesus has walked on water. We saw last week the storm, uh, the message that we're meant to get into the boat and have Jesus, uh, invite Jesus into the boat of our lives, and therefore we do not need to be frightened of such storms. And they couldn't find where Jesus was. They figured out that somehow or other he'd gone to the other side, and we of course know that he got there by walking on water and then was invited into the disciples' boat. So, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, obviously confused by this, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, and what I think must be the most astonishing lack of, of insight ever displayed in the Gospels, 
They said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? I mean, he's just fed 5,000 people. What else do you want? <laughs> Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven. Well, you know, he's just done that, hasn't he? Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Uh, they're too fascinated by Moses. They need to understand that it's about God in the end and what God did through Moses. And that's all pointing somewhere. The, uh, the bread and the manna in the desert is intended to point somewhere. And here it's meant to point. Well, Jesus will tell us now in verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Natural enough thing to want, I suppose. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. A very familiar phrase, that. Uh, but we need to dig in to understand what he means by it. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Astonishing claim. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time expositing this verse, but I want to underline its encouragement for you. There may be someone here who is desperately worried about whether they really are a Christian, and they have trusted Jesus, and they wonder whether they have let him down so much that he's going to throw them away. Well, here's a verse for you. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out take that on board if you forget everything else this morning verse 38 for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me what amazing humility of Jesus even Jesus is submitting yes the son submits to the father he comes not to do his own will but the will of him who sent me he is fully God and yet he is humble and we too can submit to people and be equal with them it is a sign of humility, not of different status. Verse 38 is a good verse for that. Then verse 39, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Um, if you're fearing death this morning, what a wonderful verse for you. You will not be lost. He will raise you up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Clearly, we need it to be emphasized, so Jesus says it again. But the Jews grumbled about him. They're being very much like their forebears in the desert, who, if you remember the story in Exodus, seem to spend most of their time grumbling. And it's very easy, isn't it, for us believers to grumble. And we must be careful not to do so. But here they are, they're grumbling. They don't like what he's saying. He's not a good enough communicator for them or something. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They didn't understand a word he was saying. So they said, verse 42, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? It's very hard for us, isn't it, to believe that someone we know well could ever have anything for us from God. It must have been very hard for them to believe that Jesus was anything other than a carpenter. 
Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, And they will all be taught by God. Everyone who's heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Of course, they are right there and then being taught by God. But they don't see that. Verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father, meaning, of course, himself, Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Again, I'm not going to exposit this uh, verse uh, very much at all, but I do want to underline it very briefly. Verse 47, whoever believes has eternal life, not will have eternal life, has eternal life. So again, if you're one of those people who is filled with doubts about what will happen after you die, remember this verse. If you believe, you have eternal life. It is your possession already. You're going to have to die first, but you're already, before you go to heaven, but you already have the life of the ages in you by His Spirit. You're already in Christ. You have eternal life. How could that be? Verse 48, again, I am the bread of life. What does that mean? Well, now he'll explain. Verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. That whole generation died. Though they ate bread from heaven, they died. They could only keep it for one day and in the end they died anyway. They were a grumbling generation. The manna did not keep them alive forever. It only kept them alive temporarily for a moment. They had to take each day as it came. And they ate the man in the wilderness and they died. But this, verse 50, is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Wow. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. In other words, far superior to that stuff that you got through Moses. And if anyone eats of this bread, meaning him himself, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Well, if they were confused before, now they're really confused and they've gone from grumbling to arguing. So verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves. In other words, they were arguing, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? A reasonable question. What does he mean by it? Jesus will then explain. So verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Uh, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him, as the living Father sent me. And I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread, of course, meaning him himself, will live forever. And as Jesus uh, concludes this astonishing sermon, John records that it took place in the synagogue He said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. This is God's word.
Now, of course, I've explained some of it as I went along, and I just wanted to do that to underline some very important verses there, even as we try to grasp the whole theme. Now, let me grab your attention again and ask you this question. Have you ever sensed, not just felt, but sensed, thought and felt together? Have you ever sensed that you're dissatisfied? I suppose we all have. And yet here in this passage, Jesus is talking about a kind of bread that when we feed on, we never go hungry. Of course, there's an eternal far horizon, but there is also a present experience too. Have you ever felt dissatisfied, thought you're dissatisfied? Perhaps with church, uh, perhaps with your work, perhaps with your relationship, your marriage, perhaps with your parents. We have been well taught to be dissatisfied with our parents by Sigmund Freud. And perhaps with your children. If you have, this passage is telling us the place to find satisfaction. I'm just going to pick out three verses to underline this theme of when you feed on Jesus, you are satisfied forever. The first is verse 29, and it's teaching us it requires faith. Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Hardly a more radical thing could be spoken. They're wanting to know how to please God, and naturally enough, what are the works that they need to do in order to please God? And Jesus replies, the work that God requires is to believe in the one he sent. And that's it. At Yale University right now, the most popular class that has ever been offered is taking place. It is so popular They've had to move it from a regular classroom to the on-campus all-school chapel to accommodate the hundreds of students who want to attend. And the subject of the class is psychology and the good life. Basically, it's a class on how to be happy or satisfied. Of course, most schools are training people how to be successful. But apparently, there is a pent-up demand for learning how to be happy. Now, you and I live in an achievement-orientated society. We want to be successful. And the most common question I find anyway, if you ask someone how they are, how are you doing? The answer is busy. Busy. We want to work and work hard, and there's nothing wrong with that. But are you dissatisfied with the results? 
Jesus is saying the work that God requires from us is simply to believe, and that is it. Let me put it like this. If you want to destroy someone's faith, I think sometimes all you need to do is make them busy. Got no time for God, no time to think, no time to believe. There was a study done some years ago of why it was that a certain part of California decreased in church attendance. And the assumption of the surveyors was that the reason would be intellectual problems like the challenge of suffering or the problem of evil. What they found was this the economy changed. And everyone had to work much, much harder. And so it was more difficult to find time to go to church, and so soon enough they did not. The more a society becomes works-orientated, achievement, effort, success, got to get to the top, ambition, talent, celebrity, works-orientated, The more society becomes works-orientated, the less it will find time for the simpler virtues, like quiet. There's nothing more scary for most people today than quiet. Why do you think that is? They don't want to allow their brains to think how dissatisfied they are by money or pleasure. Fill up the quiet quick. You cannot even pump gas at a gas station without some TV person trying to persuade you to buy some nonsense. But it is in quiet that we realize that it is faith that God requires. Blaise Pascal famously put it like this, all the troubles of humanity come down to the inability of a person to spend one hour in a room by himself. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. Now, if you're dissatisfied, if you're hungry and you're thirsting, would you today trust, trust, trust? The next turning point is verse 35. And Jesus makes an astonishing claim. This bread of life, verse 35, well, whoever eats this bread of life or comes to him, he who comes to me, will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. What what an astonishing, how radical is that? Never hungry, never thirsty. Look at it like this, Jesus is the one experience in all of life that satisfies you without uh, sickening you. You, 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 know, you, could, you could eat a gallon of ice cream and you'd be satisfied, but you don't want any more, right? Not at least until later that evening, but... But when you feed on Jesus, you're satisfied in a way 
you're not hungry, but you're just delighting. No longer hungry, no longer sickened. Never go hungry, never thirsty. There's no other person in all of reality who can do that for you. Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Are you, uh, as you too put it, someone who still hasn't found what you're looking for? Are you still on the journey? Everyone seems to be on the journey these days. It's a trendy place to be, to be on the journey. Are you thirsty? Even if you are a Christian, are you thirsty? If you are, then by definition, at least at that moment, you're not coming to Jesus. If it is true that when we come to Jesus, we will never be thirsty, then if we are thirsty, we're not coming to Jesus. Is that not true? You know, I've had lots of conversations with people down through the years who've gone into trouble as a Christian or they've, their marriage has gone into trouble or they've, they've done something they wish they hadn't done. They've sinned in some way. They, they've got into an argument they wish they hadn't got into or, or something. And I can predict now with 99% accuracy that that person who tells me about that is truly honest with me. At some point, they have stopped having daily, quiet times, or devotions with God. And they've tried to satisfy their thirst, their hunger with other things. Technology. Constant opening one app, one web page, quick, 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 quick. Don't stop, don't stop. Or you might think, you might realize that you need something else beyond the material, the spiritual. That actually you're not just a physical being, you're a spiritual being with a soul that must be fed. Are you thirsty? Perhaps you're not truly coming to Jesus. Perhaps you never have. These desires for human love, children, home, career, friendship, fame, money even, reputation, are not in themselves bad if they are rightly ordered. But none of these things will ever completely satisfy. We know that, don't we? We are hungry, give me more monsters. But then how good must Jesus be if he is the kind of person that when you come to him, you will never be thirsty again? What does this mean? It means that all these other desires are what I've thought of calling shadow desires. They're Dark side of the moon desires. They're not facing up to the sun of Jesus' brightness. They're, they're intended to lead us somewhere. They are what Braxton Hicks' practice contractions are to real birth labor. They're what a teenage crush is to real love. What seeing TV pictures of the Olympics is to skiing down off-piste powder snow. What watching that video of a rocket being blasted into outer space recently, that new space rocket, would be to walking on the moon. What having 
front row seats at the Blackhawks when they win the Stanley Cup is to just catch in the scores on the internet. The desires are not wrong. What they show us when they disappoint us is that we haven't found what the desires were made to locate. Homing pigeons are the most amazing animals. You can take them in a cage hundreds of miles away from their home, let them out, and they'll fly all the way back to their home again. Our desires are designed to be like that. They are homing pigeons looking for home. Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Well, the final turning point of this astonishing sermon in the synagogue of Capernaum is in verse 55, and it is the most extraordinary, and it certainly challenged them. They move from being grumbling people to be argumentative people as Jesus introduced this final turning point and it is though the most difficult also the most important not only is it faith not only is it something that lasts forever it is real food so he says um, this bread is my flesh which I'll give for the life of the world verse 51 talking of course of his death and resurrection his sacrificial death that we might have life he's going to give his flesh well they don't understand this verse 52 How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said, I'll tell the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man. So this isn't passive. This is something you must do. You must eat. Unless you drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I'll raise him up at the last day. Verse 55, this astonishing statement, for my flesh is real food. And my blood is real drink. What does he mean by this? Well, in my view, Jesus here does not directly refer to the Lord's Supper or communion. I don't think that's what he's talking about. Not directly. Apart from anything else, Jesus has not yet come to the Last Supper, which is when he instituted communion. That's later in the Gospels. So it seems to me unlikely he's referring directly to communion here. But also Jesus doesn't say, if you take this uh, cup and this bread, then you're really eating my body and my blood. He doesn't say that here. What he says is, eat my flesh and drink my blood. In other words, communion may well be about what Jesus is talking about here, but this is not about communion, if you see what I mean. Communion is designed to remind us of what Jesus is talking about, but here Jesus is talking about the real thing. My, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Uh, Jesus is talking about a personal relationship with him. He's talking about knowing him. He's talk, talking about feasting on him. This is why the happiest Christians are those who are growing in grace. They're feasting on Jesus. If you really want to be happy as a Christian, aim to be holy. That's the way to be happy. 
This is why the uh, happiest Christians are those Christians who are thankful, not grumbling. It's a wonderful way to feast on Jesus, to be thankful. This is why the happiest Christians are those who are serving Jesus. They're connected to him, and then through his lifeblood, as it were, his spirit, they're now serving joyfully. They're feasting on him. No longer is their life about themselves. As they serve, it's now about the one they serve. If you really want to be happy as a Christian, be holy, be thankful, and serve. That's the way to be happy. Truly happy. Why? Because his flesh is real food and his blood is real drink. Now there is, I think, a um, subtlety here that I just want to bring out briefly before we close. The, in the same way that our hungering and thirsting are desires looking for something beyond the physical hunger and beyond even the emotional hunger. We're a, we have a soul. We are spiritual beings. We're looking to know God. And the hunger speaks of that. In the same way, our food is designed by God to speak of something beyond food. There is a food that the food speaks of. And I thought this might be particularly relevant at this point in the service at the 11 o'clock service as you start to think about lunch. But that hunger that you're feeling, you see, this is why people get in so much trouble about food, I think. Food isn't just food. Food sends a message. Food is about home. It's about mum. The Russians say uh, there's a special bond when people break bread and salt together. There's something that happens around food that's beyond simply fuel. It's more than that, and we know it. This is why when people get sad, they eat too much or eat too little. This is why so many people struggle, wrestle with their weight fluctuation in this day and age. We're in a society that has so much food, we don't know what to do with it. There is a food that the food speaks of. And that desire for that food is found in Jesus. Have you ever sensed, felt, thought that you are dissatisfied? Come to Jesus, feed on Jesus. By faith, it lasts forever, and it is real food. Let's pray together. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. Would you believe this morning? I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you.
Would you trust in Jesus? Would you commit to be holy? Would you thank God for Jesus and all the many other things he's given you? Would you commit to develop your relationship with Jesus? Here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread. I am the bread of life. And I will raise them up on the last day. Lord, we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen.